I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 291 for January 18th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about the differences between rubber gloves, cleaning up squeeze out, troubleshooting an underperforming scraper, and letting boards rest after milling. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank some special folks who helped us out with financial support. John Wilson, Jason Rausch, Michael Gerard Wittenauer, uh, Stephen Potzel and Chris Jage. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate the support. And if you want to help us out too, you can go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column, and you'll see those donation links and any amount you want. We've got a couple of small two, five, ten, something like that, small recurring donations that you could set up if you want to support us on an ongoing basis. And if you set something up or send a donation in, we will thank you by name at the beginning of the show, just like we did for those fine gentlemen I mentioned previously. Whatever uh, name you put down, we'll read it. Yeah, if it's a business name, if it's a, just a made-up name, anything, we will read it. I, yeah, I can't promise profanity, I'll pronounce Mark it right. Mark will read it. Yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. For <laughs> faux show. All right, let's move into what's on the bench. Uh, for me, I'm making some chunky legs again. Seems like every project I make these days requires a leg glue up uh, just before I can even get going, you know, to get my blank in place. Uh, so this bed has some nice um, about three and a quarter square legs. So just a couple pieces of eight quarter stock, a little bit of milling, and I should have them where they need to be. Uh, but I was giving it a lot of thought about the type of joinery I want to do for this project. And this is one of those projects you guys probably know once in a while, you just want to do a project that just isn't documented. Like it's something you need, something for your family, whatever. And you just don't want to turn a camera on. It's a private project. And I've done a couple of those over the years. I always regret it afterwards because it's like a lost opportunity to, to mm -hmm. just get another video. But uh, this is one of those projects that almost became that because I just wanted to do it. I just want to enjoy the process and not have the ball and chain known as my camera hooked to my leg the entire time. But uh, I caved and decided to document it. But then because uh, the way we do things, you document it and that starts to influence my choice in tooling uh, because I do try to gear my, in spite of what some people think, I do try to gear... <laughs> The tooling to be a little bit more accessible or at least make an attempt to show an accessible method. 
Uh, and that just changed everything for me. So I, I was talking to Nicole about it. I'm like, look, what, what do I do? Do I go with my gut and what I want to do? Or do I just, which will intentionally, not intentionally, like knowingly put me in hot water, <laughs> like when it comes to comments later? Or do I do the safe thing and just use a router and an edge guide to show a method that anybody who has a router can do? Boring. And, yeah, well, she's like, don't do that. She's like, just do what you want to do. Who cares? And if anyone Seriously. is like too jerky about it, I'll just delete their comment. I was like, all right, let's do it. So this project <laughs> is going to show the multi-router making loose tenons, and I probably will use the domino on certain elements of the uh, headboard and footboard. So the multi-router and the domino in a single project, I, I actually anticipate at least one person's head completely exploding on YouTube. Uh, Make sure that you run your dominoes through that like fancy new drum sander you have. Oh yeah. Just to get them like, just to finesse the fit a little bit. These these swelled up a little bit. So I better, you know, better take a little bit off. In fact, make them swell up, like spill water on it. Go, Oh darn. I'm going to have to sand these down. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things. Like if I, this is what I would do if the cameras weren't rolling. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've earned, uh, the tools that I've purchased and I put a lot of money into my shop. I love using these things, but somehow, you know, a good quality slash expensive tool is like a four letter word in, in some communities on YouTube. So it, it will be interesting to see how much crap I get for this, but who cares? You know, I, I was so inspired by David Marks. With, Seriously, with woodworks. I loved it when David broke that thing out. Right. Did I awesome. go, David, you suck because I can't afford that. Or like, well, there were I, no YouTube comments back then. So but I, mean, I guess there's people screaming at their TVs, right? I mean, people gave, give Norm crap for all the tools that, that he had, but it's like, look, this is what I get enjoyment out of. And, you know, don't, don't suck the enjoyment out of it for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm documenting it because I, I want you to see what's going on. But at the same time, I know I'm going to get flack for it. So it is what it is, but I, I think staying true to myself and doing what I think is best for me in the project, I'm going to use the multi-router in the domino and tell everyone who doesn't like it to suck it up. <laughs> nice. suck it up so matt what about you dude what's going on just don't delete my comment all right uh just be nice and we won't it'll be fine you have a real problem with that matt god northwood's uh, attitude comes out right i know uppity guy careful careful <laughs> a little scrappy all right <laughs> so this week i got the sofa table all glued up and i dove into editing that whole project series and that's been coming along quite well surprisingly Nice. I like it. Good to hear. And uh, over the weekend, I took my log trailer out and played out in the snow and uh, winched a log across the lawn and, you know, got up on the trailer and had fun. It's a good time. Sweet. That does sound like a good time. It was. Can't it was do zero that zero degrees. It was awesome. <laughs> nice. I don't I have, have, I have shorts you on You just thought about taking those logs and cutting notches in them and making life-size Lincoln logs? <laughs> <laughs> I could. I could. <laughs> Lincoln logs are fun. Like uh, we've got a can of them. And when you have Legos <laughs> and video games around, it's really hard to get a four year old to give a crap about Lincoln logs. But there, <laughs> there are those times where, you know, we have a, a no screen policy uh, for a particular day or something. And we will break out the Lincoln logs and have some good times with those uh, full size, maybe a different story, but at least the regular size ones, I, li- <laughs> I like them. They're fun. Right on, right on a little harder to move around. Yeah, a little bit. All right. Well, I have been, uh, this is kind of the, the cleanup period in my shop before I jump into some other stuff. And I've been kicking around the idea for a new sharpening station for about eight months now to the point where I actually like started to accrue materials for mm-hmm. it. 
Um, I think I made mention of this once on the show. I was going to redo the top of my sharpening station with like a stainless like kitchen prep table type top. Something real easy to clean up, um, especially all of like the, the grit that stuff that comes off my grinding wheel and mm-hmm. just all this nasty stuff. So I actually uh, accrued a uh, sheet of plywood to make this. A uh, couple – when I built that uh, Woodworkers Fighting Cancer table, I got an extra sheet of plywood just for this. So I finally got around to doing some drawings and uh, kind of putting together what my design and my dimensions will be. And I'm I'm pretty psyched about this. Nice. It's um it's gonna free up some room in my shop. I've got this sharpening station that I built, gosh, probably in 2008. Um, maybe it was 2009. I don't know. I documented it on my blog. It was one mm-hmm. of the first things I ever put on my blog, and it's great. But it was back in that 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 era of my life when. It was like, well, let me try this sharpening method. Let me try this sharpening method. Yeah. I got to have this sharpening method. And it's like I had this enormous sharpening station to house, you know, Tormac and a work sharp and some stones and a grinder and all this crap. And, you know, now sharpening for me is like a couple of stones and a hand crank grinder and, right. and a strop. That's it. I do everything with just that. And I, I need so little space to do it. So I'm going to turn it into um, this wall mounted thing. Very low footprint, only uh, only about 18 inches deep and uh, 32 inches long. And it's just going to mount right there on the wall, totally out of the way. Uh, just one little kind of row of cubbies, if you will, underneath it that I can slot my stones and uh, various accoutrements into. Um, it just should look really slick and low profile. And Nice. That's um, a cool idea. Uh, it's just I've got this big thing that's on wheels and I'm constantly moving around. And for a while, it was like a nice place to set stuff. And then it became a nice place, a nice to, place set to put stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, of course. What else is so a horizontal surface for? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's a nice sharpening station. You know, yeah. I mean, frame and panel doors with bridle joints and it all came out great and everything. But it's just it's beat up. Um, it's time to go. So I'm excited to get started on this. Have you seen William Ng's sharpening station? I have. Pretty nice, huh? It's uh, It just looks like a... Uh, oriental garden <laughs> yeah. with a little pond there and he's got the little bamboo shoot thing for the for the water to come out it's a really nice little system didn't they document that in pop woodworking uh like a year ago a couple months ago maybe so um Vic Almost. hubbard built one i'm pretty sure yeah yeah it's pretty cool by that yeah i don't have any kind of running water in my shop um well there is a there is a faucet but it's way 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 over on the other side of the shop right um so <laughs> I just keep a bucket nearby. I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive. What he does though is he fills. The, it's almost like um, one of those. Uh, like you see a busboy using one of those gray uh, things to carry plates in. Um, it's one of those that he fills with water, and then it's just like a pump that pumps yeah. the water up. So it's not. It's like it, it's not plumbed or anything like that. It's just uh, recycling the water from the, the little trough there. It's pretty cool though. Anyway, you cool. should check it out. Not to not to trump your design because yours right. against the wall sounds actually quite a bit more practical uh, <laughs> in terms of space. And I, I find that anytime I sit down to sharpen and I go and actually sit down on a stool to do it, it's never at the optimum height and I can't get the kind of momentum I want to get. So I always wind up standing anyway. So having yeah. it against the wall yeah. is like a really efficient way to do it. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, be interesting in practice. I, yeah. I think I figured out the ergonomics and exactly how high it needs to be. And sure. um, can it, cause I like to, I, I don't like to sit when I sharpen, but yeah. I do like to sit when I sharpen saws. So I kind of have to, 
play both angles there. And I think I'm just going to uh, solve that by creating like a, almost like a bench hook type thing with yeah. my salt vise attached to it. Nice. So that just hangs on the wall and then I pull it out and mount it on top of my sharpening station. Cause how often do I sharpen saws? Right. You know, I saw all the time and I don't sharpen very, very often. So you know how often I do it? Uh, <laughs> I haven't yet. Once a year? I'll let you know Once when I do next year. <laughs> yeah. Send them out. <laughs> exactly. All right, let, later. Uh, yeah. I've, yeah. That goes out the forest. Everything goes the forest at this point. <laughs> All right. Let's move into what's new. Uh, I got one here from Michael. He says, thought you guys might find these folding wood seats as cool as I do. So it's a, a website called Ziba, Ziba.com, Z-I-B-A.com. And the chairs, it looks like an auditorium style setup where each chair or, you know, like maybe at a, a ball game or a stadium or something. Uh, so you've got, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's almost like there's a segmented portion toward the middle. So if you pull the top down, it just folds along the segmented portion to a horizontal seat. Uh, and then I guess it must have some kind of backing material that makes it want to flap back up when you're not sitting on it so that all the aisles are nice and clear. Um, very unique design. I mean, I don't know in terms of practicality who's going to want something like this, but it's definitely cool. Um, interesting design and kind of a neat use of materials. Right on. Yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. <clears throat> um, I came across a video on YouTube of all places. Never been last there. Place, last place you'd look, you know. Um, this is from Sean Rubino. And uh, Mark, you should take interest in this because it is a router-based inlay video that is inspired by a router-based inlay video that a certain wood whisperer did. <laughs> no competitors! I mean, that, it actually says, like, thank you to Mark Spagnolo on this because he's like, this is the exact same technique. I'm totally ripping this off. But he didn't say that. <laughs> I just ripped it off from David Marks. So it's right, exactly. all good. <laughs> but it, it's, it's really well done. Yeah. It's like nine minutes long. Great. Um, first of all, he's doing a really cool cherry blossom inlay. And it, it's interesting because we just talked about sped up action in yeah. videos. Right. And he does it to good effect here. Good. Um, so it's just, it was really well done. Really well produced. Great educational podcast. Much better than the first hack that did the router base inlay thing. <laughs> hey, um, you turd. That's like my most, <laughs> my most viewed video ever. I'm sure. Oddly well, enough. Well, it's to, long too, which is what surprises me. To, to your credit, when I, I remembered, oh, I want to drop this into the show notes. I went to, to YouTube and I Googled router base inlay and yours came up first. There Sean's was like way down to the bottom of the list. Oh, so. Sean. Come on, man. <laughs> Get up there. But speaking of Sean, um, Sean is one of uh, three co-hosts. That's that's the magic number. That's the magic number on a new woodworking podcast, an audio podcast called the Dusty Life Podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud and iTunes or at thedustylife.com. They uh, put up their second episode, and I'm enjoying it. It's good. It's a uh, it's a nice uh, it's a nice change to have more audio uh, woodworking audio to listen to. Here, let's listen to it. Hold on. Let me get a. Here we go. Let's listen to it. So. Welcome to the Dusty Life Podcast. All right, that's enough. That's good. <laughs> it's uh, Brian <laughs> McCauley, uh, Sean Rubino, and um, shoot, Toth. Toth. Yes, thank you. God, I wanted Anytime. to say Alex Toth, and Alex. that was somebody I knew in college. <laughs> Kyle Toth. That's and awesome. Alex, that is a, if you're out there listening, hey, what's up, buddy? That's a yeah. cool group. I, I don't know why I didn't hear of this before. Yeah. What's it's, up with that? It is, it is a good group. It's a nice, nice mix because uh, Kyle's uh, North Bennett Street 
uh, trained, and the other two were kind of made it up as they went along. Like trained on the streets like gangsters. <laughs> the streets. Oh, I'm totally going to say that now. Where'd you get trained? I got it on the streets. Sean was skills. trained on the streets of California, the mean streets of uh, of, of Eastern California. <laughs> yeah, I could say I was trained on the streets of Baltimore. That gives me a little bit more credit, I think. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Well, yeah, Sean's a good dude, too, so that's, that's awesome. I'm going to uh, take a listen to that. Very nice. All right, let's get into our kickback. First one here is an email, a voicemail kickback, actually, from Eric. Hey, guys, this is Eric from the East Bay. Call me a little kickback. Um, I run a Laguna 14-inch bandsaw, and I've had the three-quarter-inch resaw king on it for about three years, and I've had no problems with it at all. So it will fit on a 14-inch wheel without any issues. Very nice. Okay, so that addresses our, we were discussing, I think, Matt, you answered the question about using a, a wider blade on a 14-inch saw. We talked about the Resaw King, and there you go. On the Laguna 14-inch, uh, Eric has no problem at all with it. Uh, next one here is from Don. He says, hey, guys, I've been out of the loop for a while and keep hearing about these big changes that have been made. Maybe it's just me, though. I don't see any big changes. We had a fuzzy-faced guy from the Great White North with a signature laugh named Matt, and we still do. So where are these big changes? I'll tell you what, the, the changes are so minor at this point that I haven't even replaced Matt V's picture with Matt C's picture. My mom was not happy about that. <laughs> she was talking to me about that. I've been dragging week. my feet on it. I'm, I'm a little bit behind. I got a, I got a nice picture of you too. I just got to get, I got to get my, my buddy John to make it for me. John's working on our it. new website, so I can't, I, like, I won't even sacrifice five minutes of his time for something like that <laughs> until our website is done. So, yeah, sorry. But anyway. Uh, I just love that we've already ticked off Matt's mom. <laughs> hey, you know what? A good mom is easily ticked off when it comes to her son. i tell you that much. Don't mess with mine. She will mess you up. Yeah, mom. She'll, she'll rip up your Wood Whisperer t-shirt before she sends it to you. She'll spit oh, on it. There you go. <clears throat> Alrighty, this uh, next one comes from Daniel. He says, thank you to Shannon for your advice on my dust collection question. I've taken it on board and purchased a smaller unit. I'm really happy with it. And something I never thought of was the size and it fits perfectly in my shop. So thank you for all the advice. And I think Mr. Cremona is a brilliant addition to the show. Here, here. Don't start calling him Mr. Though. He's going to get full of himself. Here, here. He's too young to call him Mr. Gazooks. He's like little tyke Cremona. Okay. all right this next one is from ryan he says i'm the guy who got shocked by a shop vac ow i just wanted to let everyone know that i invested in a powermatic dust collector and have been zapped free everyone can rest easy now that's good to know i was worried about ryan getting zapped every five minutes from his from his uh shop vac that's terrible didn't shop stop his heart it's good it's good he's alive to write the uh Kickback. All right. Next one is from Frank. He says, uh, Mark, your recent response, this guy, this is funny. You guys are going to like this. Uh, your recent response about the 45 degree zero clearance table saw, um, insert and it's a insertin threw me for a loop. I actually tried that on my Sears craftsman cabinet saw, but realized as I was raising the 45 degree blade, it was obviously going straight up versus at a 45 degree angle into the wood to make the cut. I kept scratching my head and finally wound up just uh, cutting one and making the insert far less than 45 degrees, whereas it turned out about one inch wide, uh, if something like this is possible. Can you demonstrate it or at least talk about it again and let me know what I'm missing? Okay, so remember hmm. last week when we were talking about the 45 degree zero clearance insert, we I said, like, I feel like I'm missing something. Do you guys see yeah. anything wrong with this? Here's what's wrong. There it is. Yeah. When you tilt it to 45 degrees and raise it, it's just going straight up 
and holding right. that 45 degree angle. Therefore, you cannot push it through a zero clearance insert. So this was a, a more complicated question that like Roberto had for us. Right? Yeah. So I honestly, I honestly don't know what what is the that, solution is. Is that true? I don't, it's not, I don't think my saw it does that. I'm pretty sure it goes up. At the forty-five degree so, so angle, maybe that's straight up. Maybe that's the thing. I didn't. I didn't look at mine, but you might be right. Maybe the some whole do. Trunnion tilts when you tilt it, right? And then the the, the raise mechanism is tilted as well. See, and that's the that's the thing. The one that I can go to forty-five on that comes with my PM two thousand is only about I would say maybe a half inch wide opening. Yeah. So, so if it truly went all the way up, you're right. You would need like substantial width to get that up up there. So maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe this is actually true. It's just on some I saws. It's a strange saw. Uh, is that a difference between like a contractor and a cabinet saw? Like when the trunnions are attached to the table versus attached uh, inside the cabinet? Could, could be. Because I'm trying to think back to my Delta contractor, and I'm pretty sure it's it's as um, what uh, Frank says, where it would tilt. Um, but the whole mechanism just went up straight up and down. It yeah. didn't like go up along that. Yeah, that, that would, that would just plane. suck for like setting like widths and stuff. As soon as you raise the blade, the distance from the fence changes, wouldn't it? Maybe. Ah, <sighs> oh, whatever. It's, Wait a minute. I'm so confused. <laughs> the guts, the guts of tools is something that I don't really study very hard. So apologize for, uh, you know, after this, I'm going to go into the shop and like tilt my blade over and raise it and see what happens. I'm probably like almost, no, you're right, man. It's, I know mine, like I said, the insert I use for the 45s is not wide enough to accommodate a full size blade going up and down at 45 <laughs> degrees. It's got to go at that angle. And you're right. The whole system tilts as it goes. So the vertical has just changed to 45 and the vertical adjustment is actually moving it at that 45. I think you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. I will I double check look at my hand saws and see how they work. <laughs> yeah. The, that that work would be at any angle or that would be really informative. <laughs> All right. You're up Shannon. All right. This comes from uh, our favorite jerk face four, two, one. I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not the first person to mention it, but I thought you guys should know that David, who asked about the bench that would be in front of his fireplace in episode 287, has cheated on you with that other second-placed woodworking podcast. Son of a... The audacity, the unmitigated goal! It's in all caps in case the listeners didn't realize. It's perfect. I judged David to be in violation of the Wood Talk terms and conditions and sentenced him to build 52 boxes in 52 weeks. <laughs> God have mercy on his soul. I agree oh, with Jerkface. Awesome. He know, and he clearly knows how much that annoys us. When you double dip, you get put into a uh, never answer email pile. It's a terrible thing to do. Uh, you know, it's it's going to happen, you know, because the thing is, you just throw them to everyone and go, well, maybe one of them will answer. But then some <laughs> right. people ask a good enough question or interesting enough question that everybody answers it. Uh, but they usually answer it about a week or two after us. So, well, and, and the fact of the matter is, like, come 2016, basically, when when Matt joined us here, we moved to this form response thing where people send in their forms Send in their questions via the form. That's populated something entirely different. We still have a whole bunch of other questions that oh. I guarantee you we will probably never answer. Oh, the scrap pile 2015. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, there's so many questions. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So. As it is, we've got questions in this new tab from like December 10th. Yup. And like, yeah, there's no way. Well, so, I mean, we only, show. we only answer three questions each show, you know. So when we get like a dozen of them a week or more, uh, it's impossible. But anyway. Uh, good to know. Thanks, Jerkface. Um, let's move on to voicemail. First one here from AJ. Wait, did we say we're going to answer this or no? 
Shannon, you never chimed in on this one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually... That there's an instruction manual. Yeah. The, <laughs> did, did you get my email about this, Shannon? Uh, no. Okay, so it's a question from AJ. He's asking about a Lee Nielsen end vice and wants to know if he can uh, adapt it as a shoulder vice. And Lee Nielsen says yes, but he's asking us for tips. And unless we are familiar with that vice, it's going to be difficult for us to answer that question for him. Um, so how about this? And I won't even play the voicemail, but if anyone has advice or has used the Lee Nielsen end vice to add that shoulder piece onto it, uh, get in touch with us. Let us know. We'll hook you up and uh, connect you to AJ and then uh, he can bug you about it because uh, it's interesting. But I don't unless we know the product well, it's not something that we could really answer effectively. All right. Next one here is from Jeremy. Question about gloves. Oh, hello, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. I was uh, wondering if you could uh, answer a question in relation to which gloves you use when you're finishing. Uh, there's always a choice between vinyl and nitrile and various other weird and wonderful combinations, including latex or vinyl nitrile, or polyethylene, or whatever. So which gloves do you use and why? By the way, this is Jeremy from Sydney, Australia. And uh, thank you once again for uh, providing such a wonderful service. Cheers. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for providing us with a wonderful accent that we enjoy (laughs) listening to. Uh, all right. So real quick, I'll just run this down, guys. I actually found a great article on findhomebuilding.com uh, and their tool guide on the differences between disposable gloves. And I can kind of summarize. I had my own thoughts uh, about it, but I didn't have this much information. So this is kind of regurgitating what I found in the article very quickly. Um, from what I've seen, though, most folks, including myself, seem to settle in on nitrile. Um, when you guys have gloves, do you tend to, to use nitrile or latex or something else? The blue ones, nitrile. Yeah, nitrile. Yeah, I did nitrile because the latex ones get dissolved usually okay. by the finish. Right. So so that's pretty much what we're mostly concerned about here. But let's go through them real quick. Latex, you, the advantage there is you get a nice form fit, right? It really fits around your fingers and your hands. So if your grip is important with what you're doing, then that might be a, a pretty good glove for you. Not great with petroleum-based finishes, but it stands up pretty well to acetone, denatured alcohol, and lacquer thinner. Okay. Um, you also have a higher possibility of an allergic reaction depending on the person's, you know, skin chemistry and whatnot. Uh, nitrile gloves, on the other hand, good option for those with an allergy. They're more durable than latex. The fit is a little bit looser, so you don't have that form fit that you have with the latex. Uh, they hold up better to petroleum-based products and solvents, but don't do so great with the acetone lacquer thinner and alcohol. And I've had that happen a lot of times. You're, you know, I might use acetone to clean something up. It takes no time for it to just kind of deform the glove and mm-hmm. then it just kind of pops off. And next thing you know, you feel this really cool sensation on your fingertip. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's that's pleasant. And you go, oh, that's chemical streaming into my uh, skin. Wonderful. Uh, third is vinyl. Uh, good option for latex allergy. Again, also not a snug fit. Uh, only slightly more resistant to petroleum-based products than latex. Probably a good option for like latex paint folks. Uh, generally speaking, just not a great option in general for the sort of multitasking woodworking stuff that most of us do between finishes and anything else you might use it for. So uh, there you go. Quick breakdown, but I think most people will settle in on nitrile. But honestly, if you are a person who uses one particular type of finish more than another, that may dictate uh, what you use. Because if you're using more of the oil-based stuff, you'll probably want to just go with the nitrile. But if you're using a lot of the, the, the harsher 
uh, evaporative type finishes like your, your acetone and uh, those other nasty solvents, the nitrile doesn't hold up that well. So you may want to go to latex or just get a box of each and have them in the shop at all times, depending on what you're using. Uh, all right. So I'll put the link in the show notes if anybody wants to actually check out the uh, article where I sourced a lot of that info from. And let's get into our email. Uh, where am I? Lost my place. Okay, there I am. This one is from Bill Cumby. He says, I'm new to woodworking and glue ups. How do I clean up uh, glue squeeze out so I don't ruin a finish? Thanks for the insights, fellas. Love the show. Now, this is kind of a basic question, probably something we've talked about uh, several times in the past, but I think it's worth repeating some of these uh, fundamental things like this. So I'll tell you what I do. It depends on, first of all, what the next step is going to be with that project part. All right. So for instance, today I glued up the legs and I know I've got, you know, probably at least an eighth, if not a quarter inch on all sides of this blank that are going to have to be milled down later. So I'm not real concerned about it affecting the finish, right? So as soon as those legs are clamped up, I will go back with a putty knife and scrape as much of the, the glue as possible off the surface. And then I might get a wet rag and get the rest of it off because I don't want that to interfere with my blades when I go to mill this uh, blank down tomorrow. Now, if I'm doing something that's a little bit closer to a finished piece, maybe a door frame, you know, frame and panel door or something like that, that's a different story. So with that, I let that set up a little bit to the point that it's skinned over. And then, and that's usually kind of climate dependent. For me, it's about a half hour at the most. Um, But you want it skinned over enough so that you can scrape it off easily, but it doesn't take any wood fibers with it. And it also doesn't burst open and spread that glue all over the surface. And that's usually one of the safest ways to get that stuff off. If it's a near finished piece like a door frame and you hit that with a wet rag, all you're doing is driving that glue into the wood fibers. So if you go to finish it or stain it, worse yet, uh, later on, you're going to find that spot unless you really aggressively sand after that step. Right. So I think think about what you're doing with the pieces, how much work is going to be done after the fact. And you can kind of, um, you know, cater your particular cleanup method uh, based on what you're going to do with it next. Works for me. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Glad glad to be a part of it. Okay, so this comes to us from Major John Wilson. Um, I don't know that actually, I don't know that he's still a major, probably still a major. Anyway, um, I've been working on sharpening my card scrapers and my Veritas cabinet scraper. I've got it to the point where I can now get the burr formed and take shavings. However, the surface isn't glass smooth like I hear people talk about. The surface is rough to the touch, and when I look closely, it seems like really small tear out is the best way to describe it. This is on straight grain cherry. Is the burr angle wrong? Too aggressive of a cut? Not sharp enough? What am I doing wrong here? Everyone says that after scraping, the surface is ready for finish, but that isn't the case. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) It is removing machine marks, and I'm getting shavings instead of dust, but it seems not quite right. Okay, John. um, I bet you this is probably pretty common for a lot of people. Now, first of all, um, when you're talking cabinet scraper, I'm not thinking finish prep. I'm thinking like hog off some stuff and remove glue lines. And so, no, it, it isn't uh, finish ready in that case. When I'm talking card scrapers, though, uh, I, I generally am looking at a finish ready surface. And I think what you may be finding is obviously since you're getting shavings, you're, you're getting that burr turned over and the burr is probably even sharp. But what you need to do is spend a little bit of time refining and honing the edge before you roll the burr. Um, and this is this is a matter of um, yeah, think of it in like sharpening a chisel. If you sharpen your chisel with an 80 grit piece of sandpaper, it will be sharp, but it's going to be kind of raggedy sharp. 
It's going to be this really frayed edge and it won't stay sharp very long because all those tiny little frayed sharp edges are going to break off much quicker than a unified edge. So if you take that chisel to 8,000 grit or some ungodly crazy number <laughs> higher than that, it's going to be more uh, more durable edge because you don't have those micro microscopic frayed edges down there. It's still sharp. It's just not as durable at 80 grit. This is what's happening with your card scraper. You're going to use that file across the edge to make sure you've got a nice flat and 90 degree edge, right? Then you go and roll the burr. Well, before you roll that burr, think about this. If you ran a file across, you may have it, you may have it flat and straight, but it's a really ragged edge. Again, it's that very frayed edge. So take that edge and then hit it on a couple of sharpening stones, just like you would with your plain blades or your chisels. You can even go up to 8,000 grit and really get that mirror polish right on the, the thin edge of the card scraper. Then roll your burr. Now your burr, again, is going to be sharp. It's going to be at the right angle, all that stuff, but it's going to be a consistent bit of steel instead of the ragged bit. And what you're seeing, that what you call kind of like tear out, it's almost like hitting it with a tiny, tiny microscopic toothing plane. You're roughing up the surface. So you have to not only sharpen that card scraper, but then hone that edge before you roll the burr. And that will give you a warm, fuzzy, fluffy card scraper shavings. Yay. Those are fun. <laughs> Yay. Actually, you know, I think William Ng, since we brought him up earlier, I think William – actually, no. I think Mark Spagnolo has a video of William Ng. <laughs> I can see how you would this. get us confused. And and uh, William talks about this to great effect. I don't know how old that was. It was the last time you went out there. Um, yeah, so it was a couple of years ago. ago but mm-hmm. um, you probably can find it on the Wood Whisperer or just Googling it or something like that. But he basically tells you everything I just said. But Yeah, I mean it just comes down to putting the time in to polish that thing to the finest edge possible to get the sharpest uh, burr possible. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up. <laughs> letting you take it on your own. I'm not going yeah, you know to walk you into it this time. <laughs> this one is from Andrew. It says, I've been watching Rough Cut with Tommy Mac. Hey-o. And I noticed that after he joins some planes Rough Lumber, he mentions stickering the lumber for a day prior to final dimensioning. Is this necessary when using kiln dry lumber? And do you follow the same process? Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I do. I don't sticker it. I just like lay it up on edge. So it was like, a lot of like air moving around it because mm-hmm. I don't really want to have a bunch of sticks laying around my shop. That's personal preference more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> but if I take like a twisted board and I joint that flat and plane it so it's parallel and all milled up all nice and I leave it to sit, it's probably going to develop a little bit of a twist again. It's not going to be probably as significant of a twist as it was before, but it's kind of like slowly getting it to be flat and stay flat. So I find that the more steps I take to get it down to its final dimension – the flatter the lumber stays for the duration of its life, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about it moving around on me in the middle of my project or, or whatever. But I'll, I'll rough um, mill everything in the beginning of my project, and then as I need my parts, then I'll start taking them down to the final dimension. And that usually ends up having them sit around for more than just a day. Usually they're sitting around for maybe like a week or even a month sometimes. Sure. Yeah, there's times yeah. where I've got a whole bunch of project parts like that, just, you know, small boards. And I just set them up on end, like just like you said, just to make sure they get a, a whole lot of air. Um, sticker and stacking them, I guess, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of stuff and you maybe want a little benefit of some extra weight, that's a lot of work to go through. I'd rather just leave them on the, you know, the workbench sitting up on their ends and, and or sides, I should say, uh, and just let them breathe a little bit before the next workday. Mm-hmm. The only time I'll go to that extreme 
not that sticker is extreme, but um, is, <laughs> is when work. I resawn stuff because I like to um, either weigh it down or throw a clamp across it just yeah. to kind of give it a little bit of a, a guidance sure. um, because there's mm-hmm. so much stuff going on when you resaw that uh, it can tend to potato chip on you if you're not careful. But otherwise, right, right. no, I sometimes don't even stand up on edge. I just set them aside. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that about does it for us. If uh, you want to support the show, we got a couple different ways you can do it. You can set up a recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the right-hand column for those links. You can get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt, and that's at twwstore.com. And you can head to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, click on ratings and reviews after you look us up. And if you are so kind, you'll give us a five-star rating just like T. Hughes and Zach Punty? Prunty did? All right, so T. Hughes says, top-notch. I love listening to these guys. Uh, really great at answering questions and keeping it entertaining along the way. Excuse me. Sorry, was that entertaining? <laughs> Hopefully it was. Uh, Zach Prunty says, awesome podcast from awesome fellow woodworkers. Excellent topics are frequently discussed, and even beginners can listen and learn something. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Inspiring stuff. Well, thank you very much, folks. We appreciate that. It's very, very nice of you. So. All we right. Like uh, yeah, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info, and we can get out of here. I can do that. Yeah. If you have questions, comments, topic suggestions, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Go figure, right? Excuse the dog scratching at the door. And leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Um, so if you're looking for show notes for today's show or the downloads or any previous episodes, you can find them at woodtalkshow.com. And don't forget to check us out at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Looks like we're finishing the show up just in time for Kenny. Yeah. He wants to get in and lay down. And, and show brought to you by the whiny puppy. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a wonderful woodworking week, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.